Well, good morning, Orchard Hills. Welcome again to everybody in the room. Welcome also to everyone who's watching online. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, my name is Sutton Wirt. I have the privilege of getting to serve here as the community care pastor. That's a job that I love, and I'm excited um, to get to share the Word of God with you this morning. <clears throat> if you have been with us for the past few months, then um, you know that we've been in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, right at the end of the book, looking at God's will for you. And there we've seen that God wants us to be joyful, prayerful, thankful people, people who do not quench his Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the only way we're even able to be those things anyway. And then last week, <clears throat> we took a step back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to look at another passage that talks about God's will for you. Um, and there we saw that God's will for us, what he wants for us is that we be sanctified. And that's kind of a, a big biblical word, um, but it just means to be made holy. And we talked about how holy doesn't mean like somber or serious or boring, but holy means set apart or different. And so God's will for us, his desire for us is that we be a people who are set apart or different from the world, that we look less and less like the world and more and more like Jesus, our Savior. And we talked about how the only way we can do that is through allowing God to do that in us, that you and I can't change our own hearts, but that God can and wants to do that in us if we will only let him. Now today, we're going to look at the same passage, um, and we're going to, to see there that a primary piece of our sanctification, one of the, the significant ways that God wants you and me to look different from the rest of the world, is in the area of our sexuality. So, get excited, because that's what we're talking about today. Um, parents, if you do have any young kids that you feel like aren't ready to talk about that, you are welcome to take them to our children's ministry in that back building. I'm not going to be super explicit um, at all, but we are talking about sex today, so that's where we're going. Um, and if you feel awkward, um, <laughs> my, my in-laws are sitting right over there, so <laughs> should be a good time. Um, <laughs> But I wanted to go ahead and tell you where we're going today. This is the, the point of the message and what I'm saying. Sex is a good gift from God, but it is not about you. It is a gift that can be used to either harm or help others and either grieve or glorify God. That's what we're talking about today. Now let me start by saying that the church in general um, has not done a good job of talking about this subject. Far too often, um, we just have a lot of shame and guilt and secrecy around this topic um, in the church and in Christian families. Um, and so we just don't think that that needs to be the case. But I'd, I'd like to illustrate uh, that point with a little bit of a story. <clears throat> so, many years ago, um, my dad and I, we're going for a drive. And, and, you know, we were just going to, to get some time together to hang out. I can't even remember what we did. I think we maybe went and got some coffee. Um, but we're, we're coming back home, coming towards the neighborhood, and he just kind of pulls over on the side of the road. I'm like, what's going on? What, what's up? And, um, he, you know, he's got this funny kind of look on his face, kind of awkward, and he just pulls this book out, and he's like, hey... Uh, 
I've got this, uh, I've got this book, and it's about sex, and I, I thought it would be helpful. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I take it. He's in the driver's seat. I'm in the passenger seat. And I'm like, well, uh, that's funny. And the reason I thought it was funny is because this happened when my wife and I had just moved back from Rwanda after we had had our first child. <laughs> and I was like, Dad, you're late to the party. I, I figured it out. Thanks. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> now, I, um, to, to be clear, that it was a hilarious moment in our relationship. Um, but my mom and dad had done a good job of talking to us about sex earlier in our lives, so I don't want to downplay um, their raising of us, but that was, that was a funny moment. Um, and I think that often the way that I perceived my dad's intentions in that moment is the way that the church has been in regards to this conversation. Late to the party, out of touch, and irrelevant. Um, and so... As a church, we feel like this is, this is so much of what our culture is talking about right now. And so today is going to serve as a little bit of a, an intro um, to, to God's view of sex, what he designed it for and why. Um, but we're going to, in the new year, we're going to dive deeper into um, talking about gender and sexuality uh, because we believe that God has an answer um, for the questions that we have and the questions that our culture has. Um, but for now, let's look at the word and let that guide our time. We are in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verses 1 through 8. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some there in the seats in front of you. It's on page 1170 of those Bibles, and it will also be on the screen behind me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Paul says, finally then, brothers, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. That's that process of us being set apart. He says, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but for holiness." Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Would you pray with me real quick? Well, Lord Jesus, we, um, we want to know uh, what your plan and your intentions behind our sexuality are. Lord, we want to be a people who are set apart, who look different from the world and look more and more like you every day. Lord, thank you that we're all in process, that there's grace for us, that you love us. Um, and Lord, we just give you this time. So Holy Spirit, speak now. Uh, we ask that you'd speak through the word, help us to understand it, make Jesus more beautiful in our eyes, and help us to know who you are more. We give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> so 
Even just reading that passage from the outset, it is apparent that as Christians, we are called to a very different standard of sexuality than, uh, than our culture's current standard of sexuality. And so what, what is kind of our culture's view on sex right now? Here's just three, three thoughts. First, as long as it's between two consenting adults, it's fine. Doesn't matter how, when, where, whatever. Two consenting adults, it's fine. Two, anyone who puts boundaries on your sexual expression is regressive and oppressive. There should be no boundaries on your sexuality, is what the world says. And then three, sex is all about you. Your pleasure, your experience, your self-expression. That's where our culture is at right now. But what does God say? Well, let's just walk through this passage. First, uh, in verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Well, what is sexual immorality? That word there in Greek is just one word, and the word is pornea. And that's where we get the word porn from. And it refers to any type of sexual expression outside the boundaries of a biblically defined marriage relationship. So from the start, we can see that the the way uh, the Bible's vision for how we behave sexually is vastly different from our culture's vision. Because of this, however, though, I I think the church, um, in the church, we have often just said, don't do it, don't talk about it, don't think about it. Um, And we have failed to really communicate the whole truth. We've piled on the shame and the guilt and the secrecy. And in that, we failed to communicate the truth. And the truth is this. Sex is not a, a dirty or shameful thing. Sex is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. He created it. He made you that way. He designed us to function that way. And so then we believe that he has a good plan for how we are to express our sexuality. And so here, God is saying that he does have a good plan, and that part of that good plan for our sexuality is that it be limited to a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Now, culturally, that sounds crazy right now, because that is not where people are. That is not what what our our world believes. But this is part, again, of how we are called to look different from the world, to be set apart, to be less like the world and more like Jesus. Let's see what else he has to say. Let's look at verse 6. Paul writes, "...that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter." Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. So, here's another part of God's plan. Not only does sex have boundaries on it, but here he gives us a little bit of the reason why it has boundaries. And that is because that what you do sexually can harm a brother or a sister. Remember, the context that Paul is speaking in, we talked about this last week, is that we're family in Christ. We're brothers and sisters, and that's something eternal. That's a part of our our new identity when we come to Jesus. And he's saying here that what we do with our bodies has the ability to either harm or to help our brothers and sisters. 
Now, this too is not a popular idea. Rather than worrying about the long-term implications or thinking, stopping to pause and think about the damage that can be done, our culture encourages us to pursue pleasure at any cost. That your sexuality is about your maximum pleasure. That your sexuality is about your experience, your feeling, your self-expression. But friends, Paul is saying here that that is a lie. That's a lie. Your, the, the way that you choose to go outside of God's good boundaries for sex creates harm. All sin doesn't just affect us. It affects the people around us. And so the ways that we choose to sin sexually affect not just us, but the people around us. And maybe you're saying, well, how, how is that possible? How can I hurt people that way? Um, the way that God designed sex to work is that it is so much more than just bodies coming together. Um, but the way that it works is that it knits together souls and minds and emotions Part of God's design is that, that the two would become one. That's what he says in Genesis. And so when we take sex out of the, the context that it was created for, then bad things begin to happen and harm is caused. The two kind of primary ways to think about um, the ways we can misuse our sexuality is, is having sex before marriage, and then also, once we're married, having sex outside of our marriage. Now, in the case of before marriage... Oftentimes it's like, you know, what's wrong? Like it's just, it's just something that's happening physically. It's just having a good time. But in reality, what's happening is something on a deeper soul level. And you're making a commitment with your bodies that you've not made with your hearts and your minds. And oftentimes the, the person that you might be having sex with is not the person that you're eventually going to marry. And so the harm that's being caused is that you're harming the spouse of another person. You're harming your future spouse. Also, when you think about within marriage, beyond the obvious harm that can happen from having an affair, um, there's also, uh, Jesus says that when we look lustfully with our eyes, that we're committing adultery in our hearts. And so that, um, that too causes harm. It harms our spouse. It harms the person we're looking at. It objectifies men or women into objects for our pleasure, taking it out of the context that God designed it to function in. And here's the crazy thing. Beyond the way that it causes a ripple effect of hurt, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that all, all sins that a person commits are outside their body. But then he says sexual sin is a, a sin you commit against your own body. And so not only does it harm others, but it harms you. It affects you. And there's no way that it can't because it's more than just bodies coming together. It's souls colliding in a way that is either really good within the context of marriage or broken and damaging outside of the context of marriage. But Paul takes it even further. Let's look at verse 8. <clears throat> He says, therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So not only does God 
put boundaries on our sexuality. And not only does he say that our sexuality, the way we express ourselves, affects others and affects us, but he's saying the way that you express yourself sexually affects your relationship with God. Have you ever thought about that? That what you do sexually affects your relationship with God. It's not just about you. It's about God and others. And Paul says that God gives his Holy Spirit to you. If you're a Christian, a Christ follower, if you've been born again and filled with his Holy Spirit, then everywhere you go, you take the Holy Spirit with you. And that means whatever you do sexually, the Holy Spirit is is right there with you in that moment. We carry his presence with us. He gives his Holy Spirit to us. That's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And so, Christian, I don't say this to shame you. Please hear that. I do not say this to pile any shame or guilt on anyone. Um, But I do say this to counteract the flippant attitude that our culture encourages us to have towards sex. God is saying in his word that he's serious about this. That this is a major part of how he wants us to be set apart, to look different from the world and more like Jesus. And as people who follow Jesus, we must recognize that our sexuality is not just about us. It can either harm or help others, and it can either grieve or glorify our God. It's a big deal, and we're called to a high standard. But if you're like me, then you probably haven't lived up to God's standard for sexuality. Like every other part of us, when our first parents sinned and went their own way and rejected God's rule, not only Uh, were our souls fractured and broken, but our bodies and our sexuality too became broken. All of us, you and I and every person on the planet, are sexual sinners. We've all made our sexuality about us. We've all made it about our own pleasure. And sexuality is this very visceral representation uh, in the physical of the, the true nature of so many of our souls that there's this selfishness this longing for me to be satisfied, for me to be pleased. The way that we sin sexually and express ourselves sexually outside of God's boundaries reveals that the problem is not with God's good design, but the problem's in here, in our hearts. And like I said last week, you can't change your heart, but Jesus wants to change you from the inside out. That's what he wants to do for us today. And so praise God for our Savior Jesus. He died the death uh, that we deserved. He lived the life that we couldn't live so that we could be forgiven and free from all our sexual sin so that you and I could learn what it is to use our sexuality in a way that glorifies God. There is hope, and there is life, and there is redemption, and there is salvation in Jesus. There is healing for sexual sin. He came to restore humanity to God's good design so that you could use your sexuality in a way that blesses others and in a way that glorifies God. That's holy sex. That's what it looks like. But how do we get there? 
Well, I believe the answer is in verse 5. Actually, let's look at verses 4 and 5. He says that, that each one of you would know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Paul is saying you cannot rightly express yourself sexually unless you know God. Only in knowing God is there sexual healing and wholeness to be found. He is the one who created our sexuality. He is the one who has a good plan for it. And he wants to lead the way and show us how to honor him and to honor others in our sexuality. And so the question that I have for you today is this. Have you invited God into your sexuality? Have you asked him to set you apart in that way? To make that part of your life holy too? Have you asked him to show you what it is to honor others and to glorify him in that part of you that's not shameful, it's not secret, he made you that way? Have you invited him into it? He has a good plan for it. And what is that plan? Well, just briefly, and we won't turn there, but in Genesis 1 and 2, we, we see some of God's good plan and purpose behind, behind sex. And it's this. The first thing that we see is that through our sexuality, more and more people would be created who would represent God's goodness and glory. The Bible says that we're made in the image of God, that, that we reflect him to the watching world. And so as more and more people are created, then more and more of God's glory and goodness fills the earth. That's a primary purpose in our sexuality. Another is this, that a husband and wife through sex would become not just one flesh, but, but that their souls would be united as well. That they would totally be a new kind of person, the two becoming one. And that the physical would just be this outward symbol of what's happening in the spiritual. That not only are their bodies united, but their souls are united as well. In other parts of scripture, we see how God's plan for our sexuality helps us to guard each other when we're not married or with people who are not married too. When we refuse to be flirtatious and uh, dress provocatively and lust with our eyes, when we refuse those things, we guard ourselves and we guard our spouse and we guard other people's spouses. We can help instead of harm. We can protect instead of seek. To, to satisfy our own desires. And then finally, part of God's good plan that we see throughout Scripture is that through sex, we would better understand the love that God has for us. And maybe that part sounds a little crazy. But it's exactly what Paul says over in Ephesians 5. <clears throat> there he's quoting Genesis 1 and 2 about the, the two becoming one. And he says, this mystery is profound, this mystery of marriage and sex. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and his church. Isn't that crazy? And so church, hear this loud and clear. Your sexuality is a good thing, a gift from God. It is a good thing, but it is not an ultimate thing. 
It is a good thing, but it is not an ultimate thing. The union that God created a husband and wife to experience in sex and marriage is not the goal, but it points beyond them to the union that God made you to experience with him. The world wants you to believe that all of the pleasure and intimacy and connection that you long for can be found in sexual relationships. It can't. It can't. It's a lie. But the world holds that up as the pinnacle of good experience. And for the world, maybe it is. Maybe that is the best that it has to offer. But for the Christian, it is just the beginning. Sex was never meant to be any sort of end goal or destination. Sex is a signpost. It is a symbol. It is a mystery that points beyond itself to the union that you were meant to have with the God who created you. God is the one that your soul is longing for. In him are higher heights and deeper depths of intimacy and love and connection that you were made for. That's what he created you for. David says it this way in Psalm 16, 11. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Not just a little joy, not partial joy, not fleeting joy, but fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Oh, church, God is the goal of our sexuality. And only through knowing him can your sexuality find its proper expression. Only through knowing him can you find healing from the wounds of your past, the harm that you have caused and the harm that has been done to you. In him there is hope, there is healing, there is redemption. And in him is a much better story for sexuality than anything that the world has to offer. I promise you. So if you're here today and you're a believer, someone who's following Jesus, the invitation is this. Would you heed Scripture's call to invite God into your sexuality? Don't keep that as a part of your life where you're like, okay, Lord, I, you know, I follow you here, but this is, this is mine. I can't talk with you about this. I won't let you into this. Give that up. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He knows all of the brokenness in your heart, and he loves you still. Would you give him that part of you? Would you ask him to set apart your sexuality, to glorify him, and to bless others instead of harm or hurt? And if you're here today and you're, you're not following Jesus, then we would love to invite you into a new way of life. A way of life where sexuality isn't about you. Where it's got a much bigger and grander purpose. A life where you can find healing and wholeness from the mistakes of your past, from the wrongs that have been done to you. Friends, this is a part of our life that God cares about deeply. And Jesus came to redeem us as whole persons, not just to save or forgive our souls, but to redeem and restore our bodies. We sang about resurrection. In the creed, we're about to talk about resurrection. One day, these bodies will be made new. Our bodies are significant to the Lord. In him, there is hope and healing. And so church, God's will for us 
is holy sexuality. Would you let him create that in you? Would you offer him that part of your heart and surrender it to him? You can trust him. And his plan's better than anything the world has to offer. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, these are heavy things. Um, But Lord, even in just studying and pondering over these things this week, I'm amazed at just the beauty of your plan, the awesomeness of your goodness. Lord, there's no one like you. The way that you have made us is good. And Lord, I'm sorry for all the ways that I've um, lived selfishly. Lord, forgive us for all the ways that we've used our sexuality just to please ourselves. Lord, we ask that you'd sanctify us here, that you'd change us here, that you'd show us how to glorify you in this area of our lives. Lord, for anyone here who's uh, experienced great pain or harm in this area of their life, uh, Lord, I think it says that you're an avenger and you care. You want to redeem and restore everyone who has been sexually harmed. And so I pray, Lord, that that would happen that people would seek healing and seek wholeness. Lord Jesus, I think about uh, the woman who was caught in adultery and the religious people were trying to get you to condemn her and you said, woman, I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. So Jesus, we thank you that you don't condemn us this morning, but we hear your call saying, leave sin behind. It's not worth it. It doesn't satisfy. There's more. There's so much more. Lord, as it says in another psalm, the boundaries have fallen for us in pleasant places. The boundaries that you give are good for our souls. So Lord, we ask that you'd work on our hearts during this time, that you change our hearts, and Lord, that you change our culture in regards to sexuality. Help us to know how to talk to our kids and raise our kids in a culture that is just um, just so broken and so messy. Lord, we need you. We want to honor you with this part of our lives. We love you, Jesus. It's for your beautiful name we pray. Amen.